TheWealthManagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Armstrong, the editor of wealthmanagement.com. This is, as you know, the podcast where we speak to the individuals who are pushing the industry forward in new and interesting ways. And I think uh, today's guest definitely uh, uh, counts on that score. Today, I'm talking to Jay Lippman, the co-founder of Ethic, a tech-driven sustainable investment platform. Jay, thanks very much for joining us. David, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, sir. Let's take a step back. And for the folks who don't know anything about Ethic, uh, how do you describe what you guys do? Uh, Great question. You know, we describe ourselves as, you know, to your point, a technology-driven asset manager. You know, we create investment solutions for our clients, but when you distill what it is that we actually do for our partners who are investment advisors, we ultimately help uh, them and their clients to define their values, to understand more about those values, establish what exactly it is that they want to prioritize in their portfolios as it relates to those issues, things like climate change, human rights, governance. And then we ultimately build investment solutions that align with those values. And so it's really about defining that mission statement and then creating investments that ultimately align with that mission statement. This is uh, what might be more broadly called a direct indexing platform, correct? Indeed, yes. You know, we seek to replicate the kind of index exposure that clients already have in their portfolio. Uh, you know, the reason for that is that when we, you know, founded the company and we wanted to drive as many assets as possible towards sustainable solutions, we realized that we wanted clients to feel familiar and comfortable with the kind of exposure they were going to be getting. And you know, that passive equity exposure is, you know. Uh, typically one of the largest parts of the portfolio, if not the largest. And by being able to replicate that in the most sustainable possible way, which is what we believe that we do, you know, we believe that we can transfer uh, the largest amount of assets towards sustainable solutions while also giving people comfort of the uh, kind of portfolios they're getting. And the way that you do this, I think is really interesting. You enable advisors to basically tell the story of the portfolio, correct? Can you sort of just walk us through a little bit about how an advisor might interact with your platform? Well, so much of this conversation is nebulous, right? So much of it is sensitive. And so much of sustainability can be somewhat, you know, uh, not not heated, but it, it comes with connotations, right? So what we try to do is distill the issues down to an easily easily communicable conversation about what it is that the client actually values. Um, you know, when we work with advisors, we provide an educational platform through our technology solution um, that allows both advisors and end clients to understand more about the issues they're talking about, but also gives them a really simple linear path from discovering the values to getting transparency through to building a portfolio and then ultimately understanding how much impact that's having. And so, you know, to your question around how do we, you know, help advisors have that conversation by kind of giving the confidence that 
no matter what it is that the client wants to talk about or wants to prioritize, whether they want to stay more at surface level and say, you know, I want a more sustainable version of my own portfolio, whether they want to dig deep into deforestation or gender equity, the platform is there to help the advisor to go down that path. And, you know, that is provided, you know, through the the ability to distill a huge amount of data that we aggregate um, and then being able to uh, actually have all the information at the fingertips of the advisor so that no matter what it is that the client wants to discuss, the answers uh, are at the platform, you know, through through uh, access to the technology. So, for instance, if I wanted the basically the S&P 500, but I wanted to get rid of the largest carbon footprint companies inside the S&P 500, uh, you could strip out like the five or 10 and basically replicate the index, the same risk profile of the S&P 500, essentially, without those companies. Well, a huge you know, priority for us when we founded the business, when we actually, you know, founded it five, six years ago, we realized that even the three co-founders didn't share exactly the same values. And so to create kind of a one size fits all vehicle uh, that, you know, let's say it strips out the you know, top 10 emitters or, you know, that wasn't going to be sufficient because so many people do share different priorities and different value sets. And so um, being able to give the advisor the ability to have the conversation to say, okay, well, let's say that you do care about climate change. Do you want to get something that um, is more sustainable than your existing exposure? Or do you want to really dig down into all of the carbon exposure, all the companies that are going to be at the highest risk of a changing climate? And so that level of personalization to be able to enable uh, each advisor to build a portfolio for each individual client if they want to, or give them something more streamlined, uh, you know, a portfolio that is just a climate-oriented version of the S&P 500, let's say. Um, that is, I'd say, one of the big differentiators for Ethic is that the personalization abilities to uh, customize for each client that wants to really dig deep or give them something more streamlined that we call a thematic strategy that can be um, you know, built around each individual firm, or it can be one of the Ethic market themes. So you do put together some portfolios yourselves under certain themes that advisors could avail themselves of just off the shelf, so to speak? Yes. Yeah. Just because, you know, uh, even when we're working with, um, you know, let's say we're working with a, a firm, you know, their individual clients will have different levels of uh, stringency on issues. Their clients will have different priority sets. They'll have different demands on the level of sustainability they want to understand and go into. And so if the client is simply asking for, you know, that high level, more sustainable version of the index, we have something packaged and uh, ready to go. But if they want to dig deep and really uh, build something themselves, we can also go down that path with them. And the technology uh, through something called the values mapping exercise enables um, the client to very simply map out exactly which issues they want to be prioritized in the portfolio. And then we can go through the uh, process of actually building that portfolio that ultimately does reflect that mission statement for that individual client. Uh, can you just quickly go through the value mapping exercise? Because I think it's kind of interesting what you're doing there. Yeah, I mean, we we recently actually made this more accessible to everyone, um, you know, through our sustainability for everyone platform. So everyone can get a feel for it if you go to um, ethic.com. Uh, but we realized that because this is a nuanced conversation and because not everyone is a sustainability expert, you know, not, you know, there's so many different permutations of what people can prioritize. We wanted to create 
uh, a simple exercise that anyone could go through to ultimately understand what it is that they prioritize and how much they prioritize each of those things. Because it's not just a matter of saying, I care about uh, deforestation, I care about pollution and clean water. What is the taxonomy? What is the priority level of those issues within your mission statement? And so the values mapping exercise is something that actually enables advisors to give something to their clients to seamlessly go through and figure out what that mission statement is and which issues they prioritize most, that mission statement can then become the foundation or the bedrock for not only creating their passive strategy, which obviously we do here at Ethic, but also you know the entirety of their portfolio, potentially even their philanthropy, because it becomes a North Star. It becomes that guiding light of saying each of the family members in, you know, let's say, the hypothetical Johnson family, you know, we've had three generations go through this values mapping exercise and we've created a singular mission statement for the family that they're all bought into. It becomes easier to direct them towards uh, investments and strategies that are actually aligned with that because everyone's been a part of building that. And that's, you know, the power of the values mapping exercise is that simplicity and also, you know, how linear it is to get to that ultimate mission statement. Yeah, that's great to have that sort of North Star that uh, can be so much beyond just the portfolio because advisors are always looking for opportunities to have further conversations with their clients, right? To have the mm. stickiness with their clients and and have something to talk to them about. And this seems to provide that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, specifically on that, you know, we, we talk about a lot, uh, this a lot with our, with our partners is obviously here at Ethic, we prioritize sustainability. And when we founded the business, we realized there's so many powerful stories that exist in this conversation but you know what is it that that is actually um, you know what is the value that's actually providing to our partners right the the investment advisors themselves and when you know we boil it down we look at you know the investment management portion of the portfolio has become you know in reality increasingly commoditized just because you know the there is uh, you know simpler methods to be able to build a portfolio there's so many different products out there there's so many different technologies to help you build those portfolios and so that element of uh, the advisory model has become increasingly commoditized and then you look at planning same thing right there's some, so many incredible technologies out there that now help advisors with planning that that element has also become increasingly commoditized and so for advisors that are looking at the practice management elements of their business, right? How do we engage with our existing clients? How do we mitigate client attrition? How do we actually go and win new business, right? How do we differentiate in an RFP? How do we uh, differentiate and uh, approach new demographics of wealth, right? This conversation about values, this conversation about sustainability and aligning with what clients really want out of their money beyond just the numbers, right? That is a practice management conversation. It helps with engagement. It helps with winning new business. It helps with differentiation. And so when we you know, work with our partners, we realize that this is obviously a conversation that we want to drive to be able to drive more assets towards sustainable investments. But insofar as um, you know, providing more value to the individual family, insofar as actually helping them with things like purpose, fulfillment, peace of mind, you know, really, um, you know, in the words of one of our one of our uh, good friends and, and partners, Fidelity, rising up the value stack beyond the more commoditized elements. You know, that is something that we believe all advisors can benefit from because it is something that's more difficult and therefore more value add. What do you think? So, for a long time, there was, and I think maybe still is, a great deal of skepticism amongst what we call values based investing or ESG investing amongst financial advisors. And where do you think that skepticism comes from? What do you think is the greatest fear advisors have for moving in this direction? It's interesting because we still see 
the the same pervasive myths come up you know over and over again you know we we we're fortunate that we do work with clients across the country with very different uh, demographic backgrounds um and it's it's good to see these kind of myths get dissipated but the most common is typically you know that it is a concessionary form of investing that enable to allow your uh, your clients or enable to in, in order to enable them to get the ability to invest sustainably that they have to give something up and you know we don't believe that is the case we don't believe that the data uh, suggests it's the case in fact if you actually look at the data over the last 10 years if you look at the data uh, through um, the market volatility in March 2020 you see that ESG investing while it is about values alignment while it is about achieving goals it is also about having more data about the underlying companies that make up an index so versus kind of more indiscriminately putting companies in an index based on market cap and things like that it's using more information and data that can otherwise help you understand opportunities and risks completely separate to the ESG goals and so we believe that you know that primary risk that has led to uh some advisors and some clients being more skeptical can be somewhat negated by the data but also by the the core premise that this is actually a form of investing with more information that's why we we like to call it full information investing mm. um because it is a mechanism for looking at a portfolio looking at an index and saying oh well, i've got more data than the financial uh, information now to understand what the risks and opportunities might be especially over the long term Yeah, I think people don't appreciate that enough the idea of values-based investing being a, almost a risk mitigation uh type of investing as well, right? Um you mm-hmm. know, there's ways that recognizing potential companies that are in danger of running into some, you know, regulatory environment or mm-hmm. water depletion issues and uh you know, this is the sort of thing that doesn't show up on the balance sheet necessarily mm-hmm. but they're they're real risks. Yeah, I mean for so long right the the primary consideration uh was the financial you know uh, components right since the i think the securities act of 33 34 you know the the core premise of an investment decision was the financial information now esg uses the same financial information right we're still using all of that data but we're adding to it to get what we believe to be more of a 360 about the the company's behavior because i think that with esg which is a term that can be a little bit reductive people will focus on some of the environmental components which are very important and some of the social components which are also very important but this is also including things like um you know the 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 quality of leadership of a business right things like corruption things like fraud mm-hmm. you know how susceptible these companies are to um lawsuits right are they going to get fi- fined or uh, sued for discrimination based on gender or race right these are the kinds of behaviors that if you have more data about them uh, around them you can mitigate some of those worst actors and hopefully mitigate some of that volatility and risk that comes along with having those actors in the portfolio and that was what was powerful i believe in in the the volatility that we saw in march 2020 and and you know that period in in 2020 in the markets because prior to that there was i think you know apprehension and skepticism saying when volatility arrives right when we're out of this 10 year bull run what's going to happen to ESG because obviously a rising tide lifts all boats but what actually ended up happening was that volatility uh, saw some of the worst actors get exposed some of those companies that weren't as well run some of the companies that had more risk and the ESG data was actually powerful in understanding and mitigating the risk of exposure to those companies in that volatility 
And I think that has been very powerful uh, in helping more investors get uh, comfortable with this kind of investing and with what has led to such huge inflows since that volatility. And you've actually seen such a dramatic increase in flows into sustainable investments um, since that period of volatility, I believe partially because of, of how well ESG performed. The governance part is interesting too, right? I mean, you can... Uh it doesn't even necessarily have to be corruption or exposure to potential liability, just even things like dual class share class structures, mm. uh, insiders having more power over the board, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, there's, there's nuances there. Well, I think this is where we get excited, right? Well, this is where we get, you know, we, we like to nerd out a bit because, you know, what does it mean to be a sustainable business, right? Well, that obviously, you know, relies heavily on your definition of sustainability. You can focus just on governance, you can focus just on uh, the environmental side, but, you know, fundamentally, it's businesses that are well run. It's businesses that are investing in strong governance and strong accountability. It's businesses that have diverse leadership so that they can have more diverse perspectives uh, and that they're not being controlled too heavily by a small subset at the top of the business. And so, you know, there are so many factors that factor into what it makes a sustainable business, to your point around especially governance, right? It is, you know, when you boil it down, how well run is this business for the long term, right? How well are they uh, putting in systems to make sure there is accountability, transparency, the kind of things that you get obviously more of, you insulate yourselves from those hidden risks that exist in those businesses where you don't have that transparency. And this is where you know sustainability gets exciting is that this is about building portfolios, not just for 10 years or 20 years, it's about building portfolios for you know, people's retirements and institutions you know, for 30, 40, 50 years. And for that, we need to be buying the companies that will most likely be around in 50 years. And that data, that uh, quality of leadership, that transparency is going to be a powerful uh, indicator or dictator of which companies will ultimately be around in, in you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Can we, we don't have to go deep down the rabbit hole in this, but can we have a brief conversation around data looking at these? We, we've all heard the, the contradictory reports. You know, Some people think Tesla is a great company for the environment. Some people think it's a horrible company for the environment. There's data around uh, different companies that contradict each other. How do you sort it out? Uh, where are you mm -hmm. pulling the data from? Uh, and how do you make a decision on, say, a company like Tesla? Absolutely. I mean, this is something that we've prided ourselves on since the beginning of the company, because when we founded the company, we realized that you know there is incredible data out there and there are incredible data providers out there. Um, but the methodology that was being utilized in the industry you know, uh, in, that was most commonplace was a reliance on ratings. And you know, ratings serve a purpose, and and obviously, there's there's value to them. But we understood quite early that those ratings of companies by providers was a subjective interpretation of the underlying data by that ratings agency or by that data provider. And because of that, whether or not a company was sustainable or not was reflective of what their priority set was. And so when we founded Ethic, and you know, we're very fortunate that we have incredible technologists here who had the ability to do this. And I can assure you that I was not adding any value to the data architecture or data structuring team, but we have incredible individuals that, that had institutional experience doing that. We looked at the data sets and realized that there is incredible data, uh, data out there from the major providers. And so we worked to integrate and aggregate that raw underlying data. And by doing so, you know, and, and feeding it into a custom data architecture that is proprietary to Ethic, 
we could allow any investor to come along and determine what their subjective interpretation of the issues were. Maybe they came in and they just cared about clean water. That was the only issue they prioritized. Or maybe they came in and they cared about human rights, poverty, education. That would then determine what data is utilized and how it is utilized and prioritized. And so for us, it was about aggregating what we believe to be the highest uh, quality of data from multiple different providers, and then actually allowing the investor to determine what was going to be a priority as it related to that data in respect to the companies that they had in their portfolio, not the other way around. You know, We didn't want to tell people what a sustainable business was. We wanted them to come work with us to understand what their priorities were and then determine what was a sustainable business for them. I see. So if I, if I came to an advisor using uh, Ethic and and I had some views on electric cars or energy consumption, that would platform would help steer me towards the data that would be most relevant to my particular outlook. Yeah. So you'd, you'd go through the values mapping exercise and you would work with us to prioritize exactly what it is that you believe the most important factors as it relates to sustainability for you. And so that can be a transition to clean energy. It can be electric vehicles. It can be, as I said, poverty, clean water. You know, there's, there's 19 pillars that we cover, which does range everything across that, you know, to, to reduce it down the ESG spectrum. But then once you've gone through that, you got you get given a mission statement. And so, you know, you'd have the David Armstrong or the Armstrong family mission statement, which would very clearly communicate what it is that you prioritize and how much you prioritize those issues. Because depending on how much you prioritize each of those respective issues, you'll then get a determination of which companies are running out because you know, the stringency level of these issues is, is incredibly important um, because you know, let's say if you're looking at an issue like tobacco, right, which is obviously kind of harkens back to the early days of, of ESG, but with an issue like tobacco, you, know, you do have the ability, if you really prioritize tobacco and you want zero tolerance to tobacco exposure, then you may not just remove the tobacco retail, uh, tobacco producers, right? You may end up um, removing companies that have any exposure to tobacco retail. And so it may go from removing the large tobacco uh, companies that we know all the way through, if you have a really high stringency level, to removing companies that you know make money from retailing Mm-hmm. Uh, tobacco at their shops and you know at their supermarkets or you know even on cruise ships right that's the kind of what the importance of that stringency level means and so allowing you as you know david to determine what that priority is uh, is important because it we want it to be a reflection of what you care about and using this values map to get sort of the north star of the values and having that sustained conversation between advisors and clients throughout the relationship where do you come down on this idea of impact, right? I mean, do you see a difference between sustainable investing and impact investing? How do you handle things like uh, shareholder engagement, proxies, anything that could help, you know, as opposed to like someone wants to, you know, ExxonMobil doesn't care if you don't invest in them, uh, mm. but they do care about, you know, who's on their board, right? Yep. Uh, and how do you handle the impact side of the, the question? No, it's it's a fabulous question because you know we believe there's multiple different methodologies here. Um, we do believe in shareholder engagement, which is actually why we do vote proxies on behalf of our clients, and we vote them in line with sustainable priorities. Um, but we also believe that you know this is part of a broader movement. And if you look at the amount of assets that are flowing into sustainable investments and values-aligned investments, I think that 
the high level number is that you know one third of professionally managed assets in the world is now aligned with some form of sustainable criteria right that's 30 trillion dollars and whether that number is exactly accurate right this is not just about the you know more than a billion dollars that we manage and it's not just about hundreds of billions of dollars that are flowing in every month it's part of a broader movement of trillions and when you are dealing with trillions you are changing the cost of capital so we do believe that by building portfolios in the way that we do and by aligning values in the way that we are, we are actually changing the cost of capital for uh, those companies that we want to uh, alter the behavior of. And so, you know, between that and shareholder engagement, we do believe that there's multiple methodologies that both of which we participate in, and we ultimately are here to drive the most impact we possibly can. And that's how we believe that we are doing so. Take me back to the beginning. How did you, what, what's your background and, and, and your co-founders there? And how did you come together to, to found Ethic? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, back in the, in the early days when we were, you know, we had the, the glimmer of hope in the eye that, that many years of work has, has, uh, has, has driven us towards. We basically had unique skill sets that we believed could be utilized for impact. Right. So, you know, myself, I came from working uh, in the ultra high net worth division uh, at a, a large wealth manager and, and both Doug and Johnny both had experience building investment product, investment product strategies and technology for uh, some of the largest financial institutions as well. And we realized that we had these very unique talents and very unique uh, experiences that we had developed working at these incredible institutions. And we wanted to utilize those to do something obviously more aligned with our values, our core values. And we just wanted to know what that was. And so when uh, working in the early days, trying to figure out exactly what that could be to drive the biggest impact with the unique skill sets we had, we came across um, a professor at Stanford uh, who's been uh, you know, a part of our family since the early, early days, who wrote uh, a piece of literature called Organic Finance. And organic finance essentially likened the sustainable investment movement, which you know five or six years ago was still in its uh, somewhat earlier days, was likened to the explosion in demand for organic food. And the, the, the hypothesis around that is, is so interesting because you know if you look 20 years ago, right, what was it that led to the demand in organic food? Right, because 20 years ago, people weren't putting their hands up and going to the supermarket and saying, "I want an acai bowl" or "I want quinoa." Right, you know, people were putting their hands up and saying, "Right, I want to know what I'm eating. I want to know what's on my plate. I want to know what I'm feeding my children." Right, is it making my kids sick? That demand for transparency, that demand for knowing uh, more about the food that was ultimately, you know, going in, led to obviously people recognizing what was in their food and then a demand for a cleaner alternative. And that led to, you know, now there's a Whole Foods in every city and uh, every major city and, and there's, you know, juice bars all over the place. Like this has been part of this demand. It's been a reflection of this demand for transparency. Now, if you look at sustainable investing, what we're seeing, we believe, and what we, you know, believed early on was the same thing because this is actually what, you know, the founders, myself, Johnny and Doug, it's what led us to want you know, a new form of sustainable investing, because when we were looking at investing our own money, we wanted transparency and it was hard to get. And it was hard to, you know, know necessarily what it was that we were investing in through the uh, pre-existing ESG strategies that were out there. And so that demand for transparency led us to want 
a cleaner alternative that could be reflective of what we prioritized. And so much like organic food being driven for that by that demand for transparency, we believe that sustainable investing is also being driven by that demand for transparency from investors that are seeing companies in the news saying, well, this company is being fined for marketing opioids in a, in a predatory way. This company is polluting this, um, this water system. They're seeing fines of companies in the news. And that demand for saying, is that company in my portfolio is leading people to want a more sustainable alternative. And that's ultimately what we believe that we create. And when this was a startup, obviously, I think, what, 2015? Is that when you guys started, I think? Yes. Yeah. We, uh, we came together in, uh, 20 in 2015. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a long, a long road, but a good one. What in the, in those early years, was there a, a tech accelerator or something you were a part of? Was there some, how did you get this off the ground from idea on paper to an actual working platform? We were lucky early on, honestly, to be a part of the 500 Startups uh, FinTech Accelerator. Um, and so that was you know, pretty integral in our early days in, in getting us ramped up and, and really, honestly, as, as, as you know, uh, reductive as it sounds, accelerating us. But you know, we, uh, we benefited a lot from that program, uh, which ultimately helped us get you know, the early community of support, which has been so important to us. Um, because, you know, especially within this world, we, um, you know, whether it's institutional finance, whether it's impact, you know, whether it's sustainability, we've been able to build an amazing community of investors in us in our, in our early days to help us really understand how to build, obviously, um, an institutional level, institutional quality asset manager that is also centered around impact and sustainability uh, in a way that we don't believe has existed in the past. And so, the accelerator was that opportunity for us to bring that community together in the early days and then kind of shot us out of a cannon. Uh, it, it's a very unsustainable term, but uh, it, it, it was very helpful in uh, getting us off the ground. And then how did the relationship with Fidelity come about? Well, we recognized early on that our experience was working in the institutional investing world and specifically through intermediaries. And we believe that in order to drive the largest amount of impact, you have to drive the largest amount of dollars. And especially in the US, those dollars uh, sit with intermediaries, right? With advisors, with institutional consultants. And so we wanted to work with the community that we understood, but also the community that we understood, you know, was the, uh, the gatekeeper for the largest amount of assets out there. And so recognizing that we were lucky early on uh, or fortunate early on um, to bring in great partnerships with very impact centric firms um, that were very focused on impact as part of their you know, advisory model. But then we saw more and more demand coming from advisors that had not necessarily been impact centric in the past, but wanted to have this conversation with their uh, clients and partners. And so um, you know, we very quickly transitioned not just from working with impact-centric partners, who we still work with and we're still very, very grateful for, but more broadly now into advisors across the country that are looking to add impact and sustainability to their offering. And with Fidelity, obviously, is an incredible partner to so many uh, firms across the country. We saw an opportunity to collaborate together to bring sustainable investing to more of those partners that are looking to add capabilities around sustainable investing, to add functionality and, and honestly add confidence around this conversation. And so we ultimately ended up uh, partnering with Fidelity to uh, collaborate, to bring the ethic 
technology to more of those advisors and to bring them the confidence to have this conversation uh, in the most powerful way with the most clients. Does this uh, investment with Fidelity preclude you from eventually working with the other custodians, um, Schwab, say, or Pershing, that so many advisors also use? I mean, most advisors are multi-custodial, but it seems to me that integrating with the custodian is necessary, I guess, to kind of have that great breakthrough into the RIA space, correct? It doesn't preclude us. Um, you know, I think being multi-custodial is incredibly important to our partners. Um, you know, we we are multi-custodial. And, uh, you know, especially within the, the when you're dealing with, I think, sustainable investing or values line investing, there's a level of novelty in that this is a new form of investing, but there's an absolute necessity to have familiarity with it, right? To um, obviously use the custodians that clients are already comfortable with and and give people the comfort around the, especially the exposure they're getting. So whether that is the custodian they're already using, whether that is the index they're already familiar with, but then giving them that um, that new element of sustainability on top of that and combining that novelty, that familiarity is very important. And so we are multi-custodial. We're, we're great partnerships uh, across the board and uh, we, we love our, our friends at Fidelity as well. And so it's important to be able to work with advisors where they currently are. And uh, where are you now? About 1 point, uh, what was it? 1.5 billion? Around there, yes. Um, obviously, it fluctuates uh, from from week to week with the markets, uh, but between 1.4 and 1.5, I believe. I haven't actually checked this morning, but I uh, I can get back to you with exact numbers. No, no, that's fine. It's a, it's been a success though for any platform to get above a billion is, is a great, great, great run. The l- final question I have for you: What I, was this deal with Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex? Did you just partner with them in some way, shape, or form? What do advisors need to know about that? Yes, we're very excited to be welcoming the the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, um, you know, as impact partners to Ethic, and I think that our goal um, for the partnership is really to drive attention to sustainable investing, to the issues that we cover, uh, everything from climate, human rights, you know, gender equity, racial justice, uh, and together we hope to really move the needle on on the issues that we cover. Great. So that'll be a great uh, kind of a, get a lot of attention for what they say and what they do. And so you're hoping that that sort of brings more attention to sustainability, investing and uh, impact investing overall. And to, and to fundamentally the issues that we, you know, founded Ethic to uh, drive solutions towards. Uh, and it's something that we're, we're very excited about. Fantastic. Well, Jay, this has been great. I've kept you longer than I promised. Uh, I apologize for that. But uh, a great conversation, great introduction to Ethic, great firm, really impressed with what you guys are doing. Thanks very much for joining us here. David, thank you so much uh, and I really appreciate the conversation. This has been Advisor Innovations. I'm David Armstrong. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member of FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.